Hi, I'm Carol Pope, and you're listening to The Stewie Tunes Show with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. This is Mike Smith, Decca Records. Mike, this is Brian Epstein, manager of the Beatles. I just wanted to find out why you didn't sign the band. Oh, um, Brian, well, we actually decided to go with Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Decca Records just feels like uh, guitar groups are on their way out. Sorry about that, old chap. All the best to you. So what happens when you don't sign the group that goes on to become the biggest act in rock and roll history? Let's find out today. Welcome to the Stewie Tunes Show. These are rock and roll stories in 10 minutes or less. Here's your host, Tony Stewart. Hello and thanks for joining me. This is episode 8 and today we're going to be talking about the DECA debacle. Have you ever heard of Brian Poole and the Tremolos? Didn't think so. But in 1962, DECA Records decided to sign Brian Poole and the Tremolos instead of a group from Liverpool called The Beatles. Let's hop in the time machine and see just what the heck happened. It's December 13, 1961, and Mike Smith, A&R executive for DECA Records, walks down the narrow stairs to a hole in the ground called the Cavern Club that is jammed with sweating teenagers. He feels a little out of place wearing a shirt and tie, but he's come up from London at the invitation of Brian Epstein, who manages a popular local group called The Beatles. He sees Epstein and walks over and shakes his hand. Thanks for coming, Epstein says nervously, but Smith can barely hear him over the noise of the room. We proudly present The Beatles! The Beatles are on stage, four local boys, young kids really. They are wearing suits, but none of them, especially the rhythm guitarist named John Lennon, looks particularly comfortable dressed that way. They play a mix of popular songs, with Lennon and another boy named Paul McCartney singing most of the songs together, including some American rock and roll. The teenagers in the crowd particularly love the rock and roll songs by people like Chuck Berry and Little Richard, and at times Smith can barely hear the music over the crowd noise. At the end of the Beatles set, Epstein anxiously seeks out Smith, hoping that he'll have some good news for the band. Since Epstein became their manager, he's been desperately contacting record companies including HMV, Philips and Columbia, but none of them have shown any interest in the Beatles, and he knows that he has to score a record deal soon if he's going to take the band to the next level. Listen Brian, I can't offer you a deal now, but um, why don't you have the boys come down to London maybe next month and uh, we can arrange an audition? Epstein tries to hide his disappointment and proceeds to put a positive spin on things when he catches up with the band after their set. Okay, lads, great show tonight. I think he was impressed. We've got an audition at DECA in January. A few days later, Epstein calls Smith and an audition date is set up. January 1st, 1962. January 1st, that's New Year's Day, Epstein thinks, but he keeps his concerns to himself.
On New Year's Eve, Neil Aspinall, the Beatles' road manager, loads the boys and all of their gear into a van and heads south for London. This should be about a five-hour trip and he plans on getting them there by dinner time so they can have time to relax before their audition the next morning. As they're driving, it starts snowing heavily. Aspinall can barely see but puts the wipers on and continues driving. He checked a map before he left and thinks he's going the right way, but it is so difficult to see road signs. He misses several important turns and has to double back. Don't worry, he says to the boys. I know where I'm going. Finally, they arrive in London at 10 p.m., and the five-hour trip has stretched into a 10-hour marathon. Brian Epstein drives down separately and is relieved when the band finally gets there. Aspinall is exhausted, but the Beatles, needing to stretch their legs, decide that there are only a few hours until midnight, so why not celebrate the new year? Despite the cold, there are throngs of people out. Aspinall feels like he is trying to herd cats, but finally gets the boys to their hotel after midnight. John Lennon looks like he had a bit too much fun, but nothing a good night's sleep won't fix. Their audition isn't until 11 the next morning, so things should be okay. They arrive at Decca's studio the next morning. Epstein is a stickler for being on time, so he gets them there early and the boys have a chance to set up and meet the recording crew. It's getting close to 11 o'clock. Where's Mike Smith? Epstein asks one of the recording technicians. There is no sign of the A&R man yet, so the Beatles start warming up. Finally, Smith staggers in, hungover from New Year's Eve. The extra time spent waiting has made everyone nervous, and Epstein does his best to calm his band down. The recording session starts. Over the course of an hour, the Beatles record 15 songs, including three original songs by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. The two have started spending a lot of time writing lately. Epstein can feel the nervousness from his band, but hopes that the executives won't notice. At the end of the session, he thanks Smith and the rest of the crew, and they load up to make the trip back to Liverpool. Smith says he will let them know shortly. In the back of his mind, Epstein really wishes that they could have chosen another day to do this. A month later, Epstein's hands are trembling as he opens a letter from Decca Records. Could this be it? He's deflated as he reads the rejection letter. Decca decided to go with a London band called Brian Poole and the Tremolos. He contacts Smith, who tells him that the Beatles were rejected because Decca's executives feel that guitar groups are on their way out. Brian Epstein privately feels defeated, but knows that his group is special. He breaks the news to the Beatles, but tells them that he will work tirelessly to get them signed, since Decca released the recording of the audition to him so he can shop it around. Okay, back to the present. The famous, guitar bands are on their way out, quote, is believed to have been uttered by Dick Rowe, another executive with DECA, but Rowe denied it until his dying day. What we do know is that the decision to sign Brian Poole was perhaps influenced by the fact that they were a London band and would require less travel expenses. Epstein shopped the DECA recordings around to several executives at EMI, all of whom declined to sign the group. However, about six months after the DECA audition, a producer named George Martin at a small EMI subsidiary called Parlophone decided to meet the band with their new drummer Ringo, and despite their rough edges, 
he saw something special. He offered to record them, and the rest, as they say, is history. By 1963, the Beatles had exploded in popularity in England, and by 1964, Beatlemania had firmly taken hold and they were the biggest act in the world. Mike Smith and Dick Rowe became known as the men that didn't sign the Beatles, and this decision cost Decca a lot of money. In one of those strange plot twists, the Decca debacle ended up helping the Rolling Stones. Rowe appeared on a TV show with a now-famous George Harrison in 1963, and Harrison recommended a new band called the Rolling Stones. Rowe signed them without a second thought. There was no way they were going to make the same mistake twice. The decision to reject the Beatles is unquestionably one of the biggest blunders in music history, but I think what it illustrates is that the road to success is often a long and bumpy one. Had Decca signed them, the Beatles would have never met George Martin, who despite being in the recording booth really was a fifth member of the band. Looks like we're out of time, so thanks for listening, stay well, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stewie Tunes Show. For more rock and roll stories in 10 minutes or less, hit subscribe 